Welcome once again to Inside LEC, the Max and Vince podcast, joining you from uh, in front of some beautiful white blinds that I have here, as well as Vince there down in uh, Long Beach some in front of his ferns. Uh, if you're watching on video, which more and more people are watching this on video than on the audio component, we have been taking uh, tabs of that, Vince. So what does that tell you, Max? They like to look at us That yeah, we or should ridicule no us. You should no longer be the voice of LAFC. We're now the face. The, the face of LAFC. That sounds good. I think yes. I can pull off the face of LAFC for a couple more years, and then uh, the, the the aging process, the deterioration will will want you to naturally go back into being the voice. So Yeah, uh, you know, sports, you always got to pass the torch at some point. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be Dick Stockton, who doesn't pass the torch until he's in his 80s. And there's no, no, yeah. Right? Well, um, I mean, LA has a, a long history of, guys that just never go away and it's not that we we don't want them to you know the vince scullys the chick hearns the bob millers i mean that's something incredible. to it well that's something to it and i would you, you talk to the audience they want to have that comfortable person and that's something i strive to be where you're like i want to hear this person because i've been hearing him for 5 10 20 years um and that's obviously the vince scully effect and we know comparing ourselves to vince scully but i as a as someone who listens to sports enjoy hearing Gene Deckerhoff, who's been calling Florida State football and basketball for uh, 50 years. I don't know. It's just, mm -hmm. If he wasn't there, I'd be really bummed out. Um, and I miss hearing Brent Musburger and I miss right. hearing Ron Franklin and these Keith Jackson, these great college football voices. I miss hearing, you know, uh, thankfully on the soccer side, we still have uh, the guys like my, Andres Cantor and uh, those guys, those guys that you want to keep hearing. Uh, so they fall into different camps though. Right. Like, like you said, Vin was the guy that you felt like you knew him. You could probably see him and be like, Vin. And he'd be like you. Uh, but then there's the other camp, you know, maybe like if you're going back the Howard Cosell's always felt like he's kind of loftier. I would yeah. say I would put Martin Tyler in that. Like if you ran into Martin Tyler, you'd be like, yeah. Hey Martin, there you go. Weird. Martin Tyler, Ian dark, a uh, John champion. I mean, John, man, John champion who works for MLS. You just go some old YouTubes from 20, 30 years ago. You'll hear his voice on huge games and big. I'm a big rugby fan. He called a lot of rugby. So mm -hmm. uh, John is uh, is great. And I'm glad I've been able to carve out a friendship with him since he's arrived and continue to to do that. John is John is different, right? We, where I said Martin Tyler's kind of lofty and elevated. Yes. John has John has that. Obviously, he's called big games. But then when you see him out, John, John can hang. Yes, I'm John's supposed to cool, take him to the John Elsa. Cool hang. I'm supposed to take him to the El Segundo Brewing Company when he's back again. So that's on offer. He just holds just court. See. He holds court. Everyone goes around yes. him and he, and he can hang. We have a lot to discuss and we have an incredible guest. So we're going to keep it short because we recorded the interview with Mo Adu, former U.S. men's national team, former Max Plus One here on LFC. He's going to be with Fox uh, for the World Cup. So we had a lot to discuss. He had some great answers about all of them. So we will get you to that. Uh, you will want to stick around uh, and we'll talk in detail about the Supporter Shield race, which is the, the topic du jour right now, because LAFC with the tiebreaker with more wins, tied on points with Philadelphia, both have two games to go as we head into an international break. But a, a quick discussion on the Houston game. Let me start it with this, Vince. Okay. There's still some changes, and we, we there's no new players. Everyone's been incorporated into this team, including Christian Teo, who's got a couple games under his belt. Love what he did. Looked like he took that step. Denny Boanga started every game. Gareth Bale, I thought he played a good game. Um, still doesn't look perfect in the way that you'd see it. Where and I, I just think he hasn't really kicked into that gear. Maybe we'll see where it is, but it's still Gareth Bale, and I'm anticipating that explosion mm -hmm. as he is one of many players off on international duty uh, that play for LAFC. But let me frame it like this: that eleven that we saw against Houston, does that feel like a potential starting 11 for that first playoff game? Yeah. Whatever that day and whoever it is against. Absolutely. I think that's been, that's been the biggest, one of the biggest talking points, obviously the biggest is being back in the shield race and controlling your own destiny. Uh, but looking at that 11, you're like, I mean, I think the only one where you, where you say maybe it could be changed out, but this is uh, first world problems is Eddie Segura or Jesus Davin Murillo next to Giorgio Chiellini, but that 11. And then, I was actually talking to someone and, they and maybe said, Hollingshead Escobar maybe because Hollingshead of how Escobar. they've gone back and forth, but right. And Steve, I do think that Steve tends to like having one conservative fullback and one that kind of bombs forward and the way cheeky plays, you know, he's going to be the one bombing forward. but I'll give it, Hey, I want to give a little bit of credit to Ryan Hollingshead who this is why you get a player like that. 
a veteran player because he was not having a good game. I mean, he wayward passes, uh, getting caught up field a couple of times, but then in the moment when honestly, other than maybe Chicho, who else would you want shrugging off a defender or two and finishing from there? I mean, he looked like a, he looked like prime Ronaldo at that moment. I mean, for a fullback to finish the way he did in the roof and that, but again, it goes back to him being a veteran. I think a younger player sulks a little bit, gets down on himself, maybe wants to be within inside himself. Hollings said, he's like, I've been here. I know what my level is. Gets that ball, cuts the guy up top of the net. So good for Hollings said, but uh, yeah, looking at that. And then beyond that, I think the substitution patterns were very much gearing up for the playoffs. The way he replaced the wingers with do with two, you know, he brought out Vela. Uh, he brought out uh, the, the subs completely squeezed that game out of Houston. Yep. They were like tap out. Right. Uh, that was really, I, I was really impressed with how that rolled out. Yeah. Cause the first half was rough. I, I think everyone said that Elias Sanchez said that Steve said that, uh, but the second half uh, full really was just in full control. And it wasn't just scoring the goal to make it three, one. It was the way they worked with the ball, the way they worked without it. And as you said, uh, lively off the bench, I mean, Mahalo looked like he was shot out of a cannon. Uh, and just hard running from the get-go. Gareth even, uh, moments where uh, he maybe didn't tick it up to fifth gear, but he got out wide a couple times and took guys on, and we hadn't seen that in a couple of recent appearances from him. So I, I just think that everything is being with an eye towards the playoffs, uh, and Mo will talk about this, how important these next two games are in the momentum and getting ready for the playoffs. I think, as, as you put a, a fine point on it, Steve has playoffs in mind and he's setting up his lineups and making his changes. He's, he's really getting in that mode with these last couple of games of the season. By the way, I saw Gareth Bale leaving uh, the field club area and he's just a delightful guy. Uh, Eddie Segura is doing the interviews in the media room and he's making faces at Eddie, which, you know, immediately you don't think that he would spend as much time with Eddie than some of the guys in the attacking end or some of the guys, I mean, very two different very people, but he's sharing that moment and they're smiling and giggling, takes a photo, signs an autograph. Looked very comfortable there. Looked like he'd been there for years. So I, I know that's a different situation, but he's happy and it's Gareth Bale. So it's it's such a wonderful. He right now he's a luxury player, which is even more incredible because he's coming off the bench. But he will he'll find a way to get in there, and and it's really exciting to see him. I think uh, that's important. I'm I'm glad you pointed that out. And we can speak from our kind of privileged uh, areas where we get to hang out with the team, whether it be at training or not. And a lot of people wonder, oh, we, this guy's just showing up and all he cares about is getting ready for the World Cup. But uh, you know me, I, I tend to try when we're at training, we try to try to stay in a little like area, a little corner. Try not to get too. Don't want to get anyone's way. They're there to do their work. And the other Unless day. Unless it's Giorgio Chiellini who comes up to us. Yes. To salute. Well, to, I, that's what I was just about to say. I was there and I was just talking with Paul and then Gareth comes out and I'm figuring he's going to say goodbye to Paul. So I'm just kind of not really not trying not to make eye contact, you know, at that point, you know, he's an alpha. I don't want to make eye contact and get, get in the, get in his vision. But he looks at me, taps me on the shoulder, goes, Hey, puts his hand out and goes, see you later. <laughs> and I was like, now I feel, now I feel like the jerk. Cause he's Mr. Personable. Like you said, he's, he's really blended he's in. A good dude. He's, he, yeah. He's a good dude. He wants to be here. And I saw Gareth Bale jerseys flying off the rack even more. Spoke mm-hmm. to two people who said, I got it today. And they said they were hard to come by. I'm like, mm-hmm. keep them printing. We may have to get another printer down there at the uh, HQ. The, uh, it, it, I want to mention two things you can talk about. And I think we can put a bow on this because we'll, we'll revisit it. Cause we, they don't play until October 2nd in Portland, which is going to be huge, mm-hmm. important game for Portland, important game for Nashville. We mentioned the center back pairing. Jesus Murillo certainly could come in there. And I think, and I would imagine it depends on the opponent because he is a physical presence that you cannot ignore. But Chiellini and Eddie Segura so often starting uh, sequences with their passing from very deep areas, diagonally, ter- terrestrial ball. Uh, that's something. <laughs> and it wasn't perfect. There was some, some erroneous balls, but it's it just... Something you never thought I would really see in MLS. Two really good passing center backs mm-hmm. that are not that are not reluctant to hit those balls out. And remember, this is still they that partnership is very new. But I had to stop and think about that. So get your thoughts on that, and also about the importance of Denny Buanga. Not the best player. Maybe you could argue he is the best player. It looked pretty I would, good. I would say maybe. When push comes to shove, the most important player, and I said this on the broadcast, because what he does opens up the fullbacks, 
opens up space for Carlos, opens up space for Chicho. It is one of those, it's it's a functioning position uh, that makes everything click. Mm-hmm. And he got the penalty, should have had a goal at the end. To make a, he, that's something he probably should put away. But his workload, as he continues to move, tells me that that is what they were waiting. That was the piece that they were waiting. You know, we compare it to Brian Rodriguez, but he does more than Brian does mm-hmm. in pressing and def- and taking on defenders. Uh, it was a, a really magnificent performance. And I just think when we start getting into this business, Ed, Denny Bulwanga is uh, going to be massive. MVP type massive, even though he may not get that because of other players, but because of his contribution. Uh, so your thoughts on the center backs and uh, number 99. Uh, let's start with Denny Bulwanga. I mean, I think the, the word that uh, like analytics people will use or, or coaching staff would use is usage. Um, and he's a high usage player. And that's, I think, what you're pointing to when you're saying open out spaces for the Carlos Velas and the Chichos. Because you and I have always said, look, it's great that Carlos Velas on the ball so often. He does so many things and he can pick it up from anywhere on the pitch. But at the end of the day, we want Carlos Vela either making the last pass or being on the end of the last pass. And when LAFC struggles is when Carlos has to not only pick up the ball at midfield, but then he's got to progress the ball forward. Then he's got to play off a guy. Then he's got to receive the pass and then he's got to finish it, right? But you have Denny Buonga, and I think we saw in this game is where we saw his final product starting to come together. He doesn't just pick up the ball and carry it and then run to the end line. He finds ways to cut inside like he did for the penalty. He finds ways to beat guys so that Chicho Orongo is getting on the end of a one-touch finish or in the box so that Carlos Vela is getting in on the ball at at the 18 and closer. Uh, It just pushes the defense that much farther and deeper. And then as he's occupying one, two defenders, even more at times as he's beating guys, the Carlos Velas and the Chichos know, hey, I'll get in the, I'll get in the blind spot of the guy and I'll go, I'll ghost over here. There was one, and it, they'll get there. Um, like I said, I like I said, we're getting closer to seeing the final product. There was one where Chicho made the near post run, and Denny looked up and he saw Carlos and he sent it far post. And I looked at somebody, I go, Carlos ain't making that run. Because <laughs> Carlos went to the penalty spot. And, and Denny will learn that. I mean, if it's Mahala, I think Mahala, you know, that extra burst of speed gets the, gets the back post. But Denny will learn that. I think that's what we're st- starting to see. And as we saw, I think midway through the first half going into the second half, the partnerships. And I think this is so key because we talk so much about formations, but I think we should talk more and more about how does the fullback and the winger on a side work together. So seeing Cheeky and Denny start to learn, hey, I want the ball here. I remember Ryan Hollingshead telling us about this. If I'm playing with Mahala and I keep playing the ball to his feet, eventually he's going to look at me and go, what are you doing, man? Play it, play it into the space. That's where I'm dangerous. And if he does the opposite to Carlos, where he's playing it into space, Carlos is eventually going to go and go, hey, guy, this is not how I play. Play it to my feet. So it, it, it is about learning those things. And I think we've seen now that he has the individual talent, uh, also the physicality and pace to really trouble teams in this league. Uh, but once he starts to piece together those partnerships, I think, like you said, I, it, he's Brian, but he's polished. Uh, he has a little bit more of that final product. I think he he's a lot older. He's like, what, five yeah. years older? He's six 27, years older. so he understands it. And that's, as we've said multiple times, because you and I are big. Brian and by the way, Brian players. got to play in America versus Chivas the weekend, so we're thrilled for him, too, right. to be able to play in a game like that. Well, I was going to say, we're big Brian Rodriguez fans. We're, this yeah. is not slander of Brian Rodriguez at all. Again, if he already had this, he would not have come to LAFC. He would have gone straight from Peñarol uh, to, to Man City, or, you know, he would in Julian Alvarez or somebody like that. Um, so that's, that's just his maturation. And that's not a slack. Uh, that's not a slag on Brian. Uh, but to move to the center backs, you're right, man. I, I, this is a tough choice for Steve. Uh, I think early in the season, that was the key ingredient. We really were lacking the center backs for whatever reason could not pass. And what, instead what we had was we had Mamadou fall who we kind of counted on him carrying the ball. Mamadou is a good, good pass, but really he's, He's so much more dynamic and dangerous for a team when he carries the ball. But maybe I don't think teams like that that much. You don't really want your center back getting up 60, 60, 70 yards upfield all the time. So what they needed was a guy that could move the ball along. And I think LAFC, what we saw in the first half was a midfield that was a little bit scrambled uh, and a team that was a little bit stretched. But they were able to have such dangerous attacks because exactly what you said. Eddie Segura and Giorgio Chiellini can restart plays with their feet from the back. They can do it with a long diagonal or with a, an incisive pass through the middle. And it just puts pressure on teams to be able to progress the ball in that way. 
Uh, and I think that Steve's got to look at that and you're right. It's going to be a matchup thing because there's some, but there's just something about Jesus Dabin Mario and Chiellini, like Jesus Dabin Mario, even before Chiellini. And you know, I was on this train, a best 11 player for me should have been an all-star. But then when Giorgio shows up, it's like there's some kind of synergy where he just becomes that much bigger of a player uh, and the way he controls the game and the way he uses his physicality in maybe a slightly different way. Uh, maybe it's because Giorgio calms him down. So uh, I think those are important aspects. And uh, again, it's another one of those. It's like a luxury. I mean, you get to choose from that. I think we know I think we know with the way the playoffs are going to lay out and the LAFC having a buy in the first round. Giorgio, for sure, is, is starting every single playoff game. But is it going to be Eddie there with him? Because you maybe need, maybe you're playing a team that, as we now know, you'll, they'll all be coming to Bank of California Stadium. So maybe you're playing a team that's going to sit back a little bit more and you want to, you want to squeeze them. You want to put the pressure on them. So you get Giorgio and you get Eddie to really help pass. Or maybe it's a team that has a big center forward that you got to keep more of an eye on. And so you go Jesus Dabmario and you go Giorgio. So again, these are good problems to have, but it kind of all circles back to our first comment was this was, this was with an eye. Samless Cup. This was with an eye to let's get some momentum. Let's get ready for the playoffs. And good problems for LAFC. Bad problems for teams that want to strategize, not knowing what it's going to look like. And has to be frustrating that knowing their opponent can throw this or that mm -hmm. at them. And also, I wanted to say, you know, a lot of the LAFC accounts were on it and they were raving about Danny Buanga. I didn't see a lot of the national accounts saying it's been quiet and they're going to realize it late because I believe. There is a current of like, hey, we'd like to see how well these guys do against LAFC. Yes, they're beating, they're getting by the legends of LAFC. And that was happening. And we'll see if it continues, although it certainly looks like it's pivoting away from that. But uh, we shall see. Well, you so, said it on LAFC 360. We got a lot of love early on the season. I don't think we're going to get that it's anymore. It's gone. It's gone. It was all about Austin. Then it was about Philly. And there was, everything was just getting pummeled. I'm like, wait a minute. Yep. They're still, <laughs> they're still record-wise, the best team in Embrace the league. It. And Embrace Austin it. just, they had that great performance, but it's this is not a one-performance league. It's not. Uh, hey, man, we're a little bit like Johnny Cash. We're in black, you know. When I got arrested, I was dressed in black, which I am, and so are you. Yep, So See, there, there you, go. you go. And I wasn't arrested. It's just, uh, what was that, cocaine blues, which it's, but wait, this guy's ahead of his, his time. Yeah, Johnny Cash, another level. For all yes. the for all you youngins maybe listening to this, haven't listened to Johnny Cash, another level. Yes. T listen it out. Listen to the songbook, Folsom Prison. So now we are here. We'll talk more about this uh ahead because there's the international break. We have a lot of players off on international duty. I could rattle them off. You know the names. Eleven. Eleven. Some for under 20s that were called in. Yes. Uh, some playing in big spots, the Ecuadorian guys. Kellen Acosta, Yunus Musa is not in the U.S. camp. He might start a game. I would imagine he does for the U.S. this upcoming few days. And then Gareth Bale. I mean, Gareth Bale preparing for the biggest moment in his country's history at the World Cup as well. So now we have this week. Uh, LAFC got help from Atlanta. And then with the win over Houston, now control their destiny with two games. It doesn't seem so far-fetched. It's two games. It's mm. Portland away and Nashville. Toronto, uh, pardon me, um, Philadelphia has Charlotte away, who had a really good comeback win. Yep, needed it. Uh, and still in the playoff hunt. So they have to travel to its Bank of America Stadium. Mm -hmm. And then they play Toronto, who's out. Big disappointment down the stretch. But you got Bob Bradley there. And you have these Italian players that I'm sure, before they put a bow on their first season in MLS, talking about Bernadeschi and Lorenzo Insigne, would like to have that nice performance on the way out. And again, just to reiterate, it's Bob, which makes this as compelling a subplot as you could have. So that's the way it is. Uh, LAFC really dropping points would put them in a precarious situation. Let's be honest with that. I think it's possible they win these two games. Mm -hmm. The Nashville game, you have to assume they can win because their home record suggests that's what they do. Right. And for Philadelphia, you would imagine they do the same thing because they're a fantastic home team. Mm -hmm. uh probably comes down to portland but lfc's had success so looking at this this final two games obviously and uh, stick around for modu he has a really good answer to this about how you want to go there the supporter shield is huge and the idea of celebrating the support shield on the final game of the season uh gets my blood pumping really hot so 
it's there. You want to add trophies. You've added the CONCACAF Champions League. You've added a regular season Western crown. I think when you look at this, we know the playoffs can go sideways. But as good as you are at home, and it's a you know record setting with since they've come into the league and scoring a goal at 41 straight games. Yeah, incredible. That supporter shield, you don't want to leave anything to chance. You go get it, and I, you're trending in the right direction where you should be able to get those two wins, and that will do it. Yeah, if it's within your grasp, why wouldn't you do it? I know, I know there's been some debate on, do we want the supporter shield? The supporter shield winner doesn't normally win MLS Cup. But to your point, Max, you don't know what's going to happen come playoffs. So you got to go for trophies. You want something at the end of the year that's tangible that you can hold in your hands and say, this is what we did. Like the first time we won it, which still has right. legs. Right. And now we're back in the driver's seat, but I still feel, even though we're in the driver's seat and it, we control our own destiny, it still feels like we're chasing a little bit. Right. Because like you said, you got to win those two games. You just can't count on Philly to drop any more points. And I, I want to see an LAFC team maybe redlining it a little bit, especially as we get close to the playoffs. Cause once you get in the playoffs, it's one and done. Man, when you got to pick it up and you got a red line and put it into fifth gear, you better find a way to do it within those 90 minutes because there's no turning back after that. You can't count on a second leg in any of these games. So this uh, this stretch is important, I think, for so many levels. But first and foremost, you look at it and go, guys, a trophy is within our grasp and within our destiny. We don't have to count on anyone else. We can just get these two wins. We take a trophy home. And I'll add something else on top that Connor brought up in the LFC 360 show on Monday. Nashville, Philadelphia. The way they're positioned in the table right now, they would play each other. LAFC with its bye would play the winner of Nashville. Or sorry, sorry, Nashville, Portland. Nashville, Portland would play the winner of Nashville, Portland. So the next two teams you're playing, you very well could be your first match in the playoffs. So I mean, what better motive? What more motivation do you need? I mean, how much more can we heap on them? But it, yeah, the momentum, the trophy on the end of the line, the fact that these might be the teams you play in the playoffs. Uh, th these matches are going to be important. But this international break is, it's a funky time. Uh, it's it, not ideal, Vince, for LAFC. Yeah. Everyone's healthy. Everyone's together. Let's, let's, it was a different time during COVID, but there's been some horror shows for international breaks for LAFC. Who can forget when on the two Ecuadorian and the two Uruguayan internationals got COVID and it was just, it lumped on what was a very tough, tough stretch, made it even tougher. Obviously, it's a different time and a different world we're in. But Injuries happen. These are huge camps. It's not just the games. It's really intense trainings mm -hmm. that these guys are going to be going in. Although it's in a different kind of training. It's not the more focused training that you will see, which is building from a whole season that you'll have LAC. So you lose that. You yeah. lose that. And other teams have internationals. But as you mentioned that list, I don't, you know, LAFC are in rare air with regards to guys going on there. So it, all, the good news is no games being played there. So you can train in. They'll have some time to recharge the batteries, at least the non-international players. Yeah. A Giorgio the, Chiellini, a Carlos Vela, a Chicho Rongo, they're all very happy right now. And they're probably, I think, I'm pretty sure Steve gave them a couple extra days off. So they're probably resting at home with their families and they're okay with this break. I'll tell you that. Yeah. And just really quickly with the dates, the last games for the players we have is September 27th, which will be next Tuesday. Right. So they'll have a time to re get reintroduced by the time they play Sunday, October 2nd. It's not one of these two-day turnarounds. And there's no uh, uh, quarantines that they have to clear. Yep. So it should be pretty seamless there. You just hope they come in, in peace. It's not ideal, but it's the situation's a lot better than it has been in past international dates. So uh, uh, tip of the cap there for MLS, knowing how important it is. But uh, it's going to be challenging because you have more internationals than these teams that you're probably going to be playing down the stretch. Yeah. Having that match on Sunday uh, is a godsend. You need that extra day, especially see, this is my biggest worry. And, and one first worry is always the, the, the training you brought up. Uh, it's not always the most intense training. You hope that these guys are, are, are training hard because if they lose even that little bit of fitness, but the, the thing that I really worry about is they're all in Europe. It's a long flight. It's every single one of these guys. What, what did we, we talked to Sifu, right? He's in, German is it Spain then Germany or Germany then Spain they're like flip of where the U.S. is. Spain and Germany uh the U.S. is Germany then Spain right so though all those guys you know that's a big chunk of guys all out there obviously Gareth is out there in Europe as well so it's you can never I know somebody said to me well they're probably flying first class yeah but still it's 15 hours it's not great it's not ideal for these guys they're they're 
They're, you know, they're the Ferraris, right? You don't want them dealing with these long This LA is the furthest outpost from everywhere in the, in North America flying. That yeah, way. you fly in, you get a couple of days and then get it's not right 15. Back on it's not 15 hours, by the way. It's more like 11. Okay. Well, it feels like 15 hours, I'm sure. Uh, but uh, yeah, they'll come back. And then Portland is not a, it's not a long trip, but it's not a short, it's not the shortest trip, uh, but, and it's turf. Um, so there'll be some decisions to make on when guys come back and what kind of fitness they're in. And do you risk, does Giorgio Chiellini play in Portland? I don't know. Uh, Eddie Segura. Does he play? I mean, he played on turf in Vancouver and he told you and I, he was a little bit worried actually when he first came in, but then that kind of subsided when his play picked up. Um, but yeah, the, these are all things that you have to have in mind. These all, the, it's, it's not just about putting the guys on the field and letting them go at it. They have to think of all these little things down the line because this is, these are the prime moments, any, any little slip up or any little injury or just pulled muscle or anything could be catastrophic to, to the playoffs. Uh, the good news of our time we spend at the Performance Center, they had this whole season kind of everything somewhat choreographed as to how it's going to look, barring injuries or complications. So they have this. LAC is going to be the number one team in the West, so they will uh, have a little break once the postseason starts. So that's, it's again, it's not perfect, but you deal with it and you want that number one spot because you don't want to have any peril in that opening playoff. But all in all, it's a it's a challenge. I think that they will will certainly accept with two hands and move on from there. Yeah. Look, can you hear this uh, alarm bell going on in my street? A little alarm. Go- yeah. What's There's going like, on? There's uh, like, geez, someone breaking into a car on my street as we're uh, wrapping well, this up. Uh, go put your cape on and stop them. Right? Isn't isn't that your job? Aren't you the head of the neighborhood watch there in uh, in Redondo? Yeah. No. I'll hit the mute button. Hold on. How's that? The mute button is better. Uh, but uh, now, see, now you made me lose my train of thought, though. Where we. <laughs> we're going with this uh the the having the little bit of buy yes that lfc you see that with both hands and it i don't think you worry about that because with that buy you say the playoffs go through us and we've already alluded to it multiple times the record at bank california stadium the goal scoring record the nine wins in a row you'll definitely take a a maybe maybe lose a little bit of uh you know get a little bit of rust by having maybe that extra day off or lose that little bit of rhythm with the fact that every team knows they're coming in Bay California stadium and, and playoff atmosphere, you and I both know it's just another level in that stadium. So it's, it's just another thing for those teams to deal with. And then obviously the, the pace, the tempo, the way the team plays, it's just there. They've been incredible on the road this year. We do have to point out, but home is just, it's a whole different animal. And I, I have to, if you're a team and even if you're Austin, and I know Austin has dealt us our one loss. If that who eventually has to come through uh Bay California stadium for like a Western conference final, I think they're still a little bit worried. The alarm just went off. Oh, perfect timing. Just as you finish your last word. There we go. You still have to be worried, but the idea of three home games at Bank of California Stadium in the playoffs, maybe it's too good to be true, but we'll see. We're going to pivot here. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to get you to a fantastic interview we had with Mo Adu, one of the more interesting guys in American soccer from his playing days to his broadcast days to his plus one days with LAFC. He'll be joining us next here on Inside LFC, the Max and Vince podcast. Rate, review, download, subscribe, and tell a friend. We are back on Inside LFC, the Max and Vince podcast. And as they say in the NASCAR world, although I don't watch a lot of NASCAR, although our next guest is from a town that has a NASCAR track, so it all comes together, the pride of Fontana, California. I mean, how often do you get back to Fontana? And I, I did not mean to go NASCAR right from the jump here. And I don't know anything about NASCAR, but I just saw the three images. So I went with it, Mo. No, I mean, I'm, uh, I'm proud of where I'm from. I'm excited uh, to be on this podcast with you guys. First and foremost, good to see you guys. It's been a, it's been a long while. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's definitely where I'm from. Actually in the process now, like these last week and a half or so has been hectic because we're in the process of moving. Uh, moving to Vegas actually so yeah yeah making that move but um all is well and yeah looking to chat some football with you guys you're moving to Vegas just when we're about to get sports betting here in California I mean come on man I know know. also is that gonna pass yeah come on it will it will they're putting in front of NFL games what do you think is gonna happen I also want to say, Mo, I love that for a hot second there, you thought to maybe rescue Max in his NASCAR thing. And then you were like, nah, I'm going to leave him. I'm going to leave him hanging. Uh, he's, he's a strong character, man. He can hold his own. I'm not, I have no concerns about that. Yeah. Well, we're proud. We love Fontana. It's, it's Los Angeles and Christian Torres from our academies from there, too. So much respect. And we love Vegas as well. 
and we obviously uh, love football and we want to talk about it. And we're going to, we're going to go down memory lane a little bit later here as uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to start getting a little emotional as we have our last broadcast on the final weekend decision day, LAFC Nashville. And I, I'm not hundred percent sure. I'm going to make sure that, you know, some, it doesn't get moved around. I don't know. It shouldn't, but uh, it's been incredible five years and Mo's been along for the ride. It's been great to work with him as well, but we're going to start with the, the more pressing information, Mo. And, um, it is the Supporter Shield race because LAFC, as we found out this past weekend, was able to clinch the regular season Western Conference, a spot in the CONCACAF Champions League. Philadelphia also was able to clinch a spot. And now we have this really compelling race between as close as you could get to MLS super clubs. And that's exciting. And everyone would love to see this in the final. The odds say we won't get it. So let's really squeeze the lemon here with the Supporter Shield. They're very different teams. Uh, Philadelphia. Uh, a game you called this weekend only got a point, which helped LAFC, but they have been uh, pretty irresistible over the last few months. As we as we look into these final two games and LAFC controls their own destiny, how do you see these two teams compare and how do you see them prepare for a perhaps a uh, a, a matchup down the road? Uh, you know, it's interesting. I like how you kind of phrase that, that they're both super clubs, because I think based on results and performances that yeah, you would say that they are super clubs in their own rights. Um, but two different clubs who have taken or two clubs who have taken two different approaches, right? LAFC have, have been able to attract, I mean, look at the list of players. I mean, the roster build itself is incredible. Um, and it just keeps going from strength to strength where Philadelphia have had to be a little bit more calculated in their approach, leaned a lot on their academy, brought in players from abroad who have come in and, you know, found their feet relatively well, and that's led to them being successful. So it's, it's, uh, I, I think back to, I think it was 2020 before the pandemic. Um, I actually went to the LAFC versus Philly game as a fan, right. And got to see that game. And I think, of course, LAFC fans would have loved to see the three points stay at home, but they shared a point that game three, three game, I think it was, mm -hmm. but that was a chance to see what these two clubs were, were really made of and where they are now is no, it's not shocking to anyone that they're both competing for a supporter show to see that progression, to see that continuity and then maintain that level of success is incredible. But um, I think it's going to be interesting. It's going to come down to decision day for, for sure. I think LAFC are, I would say they have the two more difficult games. They go away to Portland. They host Nashville, two teams who are, I think Nashville is just ahead of Portland in the, in the standings, both trying to secure a home game in their first playoff or a home playoff game in their first round. So that's going to make that those two games that much more intriguing, a little bit more difficult and tricky. Whereas Philly's playing against a Charlotte side that's on the outside looking in the playoff race. They've been a little bit up and down over the course of the season, this expansion club. So, you know, that's, I don't want to say it's favorable, but beneficial in one way. And then they're playing on decision day and eliminated Toronto FC. So I think if you're just looking at straight the schedule, that's tilted towards Philly. But I think from the LAFC standpoint, these two games are massive. And it's not just about the supporter shield for me at that point. It's beyond that, right? LAFC's had success in terms of winning a supporter shield, setting all kinds of records, just really smashing the league in the way that they did in 2019. What they want now, what this club wants, what the fans want is an MLS Cup. And I think getting there by winning these next two games, that'd be a, that would be a more of an indication of where this team is going into the playoffs than, a, than necessarily the supporter shield. Obviously, winning those two games, you secure supporter shield, that's great, but it's about momentum for me. It's about peaking at the right moment, getting some continuity, getting some consistency, getting into a good rhythm and tempo and tone set amongst the players uh, going into the playoffs because that's when it really, really matters for everyone. Mo, what's your take on the Supporter Shield? Because it's evolved since it was first created. And uh, I think this year might put it even up a level. Because as Max says, it's kind of super clubs. Uh, like you said, built differently. Um, but they're definitely pushing the bounds of how good a team can be in each conference. And if it comes down to the wire, maybe that adds a little bit extra shine to that trophy. But what's, what's your take as a former player? And then now watching this league and, and calling games and seeing how it's kind of evolved. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Because if, if you know, you grow up and you as a fan of this sport, naturally you're super in tune with what's happening on the global landscape and in every country around the world, supporters should is what would deem you as a champion of your respective leagues. So I can't, I can't shy away from that. I think it's, 
I think it's incredibly impressive to be able to put together a season where you can, well, first of all, LAFC, what they've done this year in terms of being at the top of the, of the pack for, I don't even know how many months and weeks it's been. Uh, I think that's incredibly difficult, first and foremost. I don't think people realize the level of consistency it takes to consistently get results and wins and, and maintain that level. So I, I don't think you can take anything away from that. But because we are in an American culture, we're so groomed to favor and put more emphasis on the playoff system and, and MLS Cup. So this is a long-winded way of saying, I, I think one leads to the other, right? We haven't seen many times where a supporter shield winner actually goes on to win MLS Cup. I think it's what, seven times the last time uh, I had this stat, actually. I think it was like the last time in the, in the past 10 years, the only time it happened was TFC in 2017 when they won the treble, right? And so that just, that highlights the level of difficulty that that it takes to win both things. Um, listen, I think if you can if you can finish off the season winning Supporters Shield and finish that off in the right way, it should definitely give you momentum going into the postseason and confidence more than anything else. But we all know it's tricky at that point. So it's man, I'm, you're. I know you want me to give you a, a one A or a one and a two, but I'm leaning towards maybe a one A, one B, and obviously MLS Cup is take that. MLS Cup is what you get judged on, right? And so that's why I think that's of more importance right now, especially for LAFC. Yeah, and I think fair, that yeah, I, I put it one A, one B, and I'm actually like like you. But they're closer up, than they used to be. Yeah, I think they're closer. Yeah. I think they're definitely getting closer. And I think also to add to it, and like you said, the the history of the sport. You also played in leagues when you went to Europe. Where there's multiple trophies on offer, and I'm almost like, I mean, not let's not let's not get crazy. Let's not have five six trophies, but. Let's get up to three or four that are, are worth, you know, we have open cup add in there. So the, now there's three trophies that I think anytime you win those, you should be very, very excited for your club. I don't think you can ever take away from the value of, of success, of winning, of, of establishing that as a culture. Um, you know, you look at those years when Red Bulls were always competing for supporters should. And I think some people take shots at them in some ways and say, yeah, hey, you want that, but you didn't win MLS cup. And listen, I, Okay, I can I understand that reasoning because, as I said before, MLS Cup is what you get judged on. But I take nothing away from that. I think that helps to shape the the culture, the foundation, the what your club stands for, and what it's what it, what you signify within your market, within the league. You know, there are certain clubs where you look at them and you say, okay, look, they are consistently challenging for a supporter show. They're going to be they're always going to be in the conversation when it comes to the playoffs and getting the MLS Cup and. I just think as establishing a winning culture, whether that's winning supporter shields, whether that's winning even open cups, uh, there's no there's no way to replicate success or trophies. And so I agree with you in that regard that if you can host a, if you can hoist a trophy in front of your fan base, I don't care how small that trophy is in the moment. There's no better feeling than that. Supporter shield is huge and, and obviously booking a spot in the CONCACAF Champions League. But I love what you said about momentum in the playoffs and also securing home field advantage in the, I know anything can happen in the MLS Cup playoffs, but these are two remarkable teams at home and they are deep and anything can happen, but they can put themselves in a great position. Uh, Philadelphia hasn't lost at home. Uh, they've tied a bunch, but they haven't lost. And you have LAFC, which has lost once. Do you think this could be a little different with regards to the postseason? Are we seeing a, at least some sort of shift? And I know I'm going to put my foot in my mouth here and we're going to get... Yeah, Montreal. Chaos. It's going to be chaos. It's going to be chaos. Montreal and Salt Lake and uh, and but is, does it feel a little different way some of these clubs are built? And I, I'm a believer that once that sh shifts, then it, it it might stay because the the landscape is changing and everyone wants to see clubs in MLS that the national um, uh, neutral fan would be interested in. Is there something different if these two teams make the postseason with home field advantage in their back pocket? Um, I mean, I think that's what we're trending towards right now, right? That they're both in prime position to to do that, and so I'm just excited of the prospect. and And it's so far fetched, and which is crazy to say because these teams are two two incredibly elite teams and have shown that over the course of the season. If if there was a if there was ever a time where you know, you would want it to kind of where you would want the rankings to kind of play out in terms of dictating what the final looked like. I think this is the year that I would want that because from an excitement level, from especially if you look at Philly, their recent form, 
in the way that they've been scoring goals. You compare that to the way LAFC was just washing teams in the in the first half, well, three quarters of the season. It's they're two of the most attractive teams in the league, you know. And I think other fan bases are going to hear this and say, oh, "Shut up!" Like this is this is the beauty of soccer that it's not played on paper, that it's not played in the first half of the season. That our league here has the benefit of experiencing both things in terms of teams who might do well in the supporter shield chase, but then they might choke up in the playoffs. So I, I think this is the beauty of sports, right? I would love to see an LAFC Philadelphia final because that would be either the two best teams over the course of, of 30 some odd games. But we know that's not how it always shapes up. We definitely know that that's not how it always shapes up. But I think that's what the challenge is for both clubs. I think both clubs have that in the back of their mind, that they've experienced success at the supporter show level, but the expectations that they've set for themselves, the expectations they've set for their fan base is that they need to win MLS. And I think the other part to that too is they have enough players. They have a, especially Philly, they have a core group of players who experience that supporter shield success. You have a guy like Carlos Vela who's leading your team in LAFC who experienced that success on a personal and team level to where there's that drive. There's that motivation to say like, all right, I know what that feels like to win that. That's great but I want that next tier. I want to be deemed as one of, I want to be a legend in this league, right? You're a legend in your city. You've done that, but now you get that MLS cup trophy attached to your name and to your club. You, you put yourself in a position. I'm saying that as if he's not going to go down as a legend, but you know, for other players um, on that team, you put yourself now in that, in that legendary uh, status level. I think I, I agree with you. I mean, he's always going to be a legend here in Los Angeles. I was actually talking with someone uh, in the press box at the last game, just about numbers. Cause we were talking a little bit about how Bale wears 11 Sifu used to wear it. That kind of changed. And we were just talking about, man, what is it going to be like for that next guy that, you know, that next high profile name that comes in and goes, I want 10 after Carlos. I, I mean, I wouldn't yeah. want to be that guy. It's retired. Yeah, no, we can't do that. <laughs> it's, it's we can't, crazy, go that. Right? can't retire 10. <laughs> yeah. We can't retire. If 10. they don't retire number 10 in Argentine national team, you don't retire the 10. Right. Uh, of course, this is an LAFC podcast, but we'd be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit of World Cup and a World Cup year and just obviously with where we're at in the season, we're in an international break. And Mo, if I remember my history correct, and when going into the 2010 World Cup, you actually didn't feature all that much in qualifying, but clearly made it onto the roster by your form leading into that moment. And I think a lot of players more so in this season than any other, because obviously for European players, it falls in the middle of the season are really looking to this last window that we're in to be like, I got to submit my place. Uh, so from a guy that, that has lived with it, has done it, it, in this window, what are these players, uh, whether it's like a Jose C. Fuentes for LAFC or even, uh, you know, a Weston McKinney for the U.S. national team. I mean, those guys probably are for sure cemented on the plane, but they're vying for maybe, you know, starting in that first game. What, what are they looking what – what what's happening here in this, in this break? Yeah, it's uh... – it's an interesting one. Um, I, I look back at my, my situation and well, injuries played a big role in my situation. So if you're injured and you miss a large spell of the important games, which are the qualifying process leading up to it, then, you know, when you get back to being fit, every game is, is of utter importance, right? Like you gotta, you gotta kill it. You gotta make sure that you're informed and it's a hard balance because you, you know that you got to, first of all, stay healthy because you've just come back from injury. So there's that part. But then you know that you have to find that balance of focusing in on each and every game and making sure that you're winning. You're, you're focused on winning the game more than anything, anything else, because in winning the game, you're going to play well. Right. And then by you playing well, that opens the door to going into camp. So for my situation, then it was like, all right, I got back healthy and OK, I need to focus on just getting back to being my best. Um, and I was confident, you know, the games that I missed was because of injury, most of them. And so in the back of my mind, I was always thinking, if I get healthy, I'll be in that camp going into World Cup. Um, actually, there was a camp prior to the last camp. I think it was a friendly game against Holland. I can't remember exactly. But anyway, there was a game prior to that final camp. And I was like, all right, I need to make sure that I'm healthy and fit before that camp. Um, get called in there, show well. And then, again, now your target is set on that final camp. For these guys, it's a little bit tricky because the last camp before the World Cup is, what, six weeks before the World Cup, right? And so mm -hmm. there's there's a period of you got to come into camp, you got to show well, but then you got to go back to club and also maintain form and stay healthy and pray that, I don't know, no one has, 
I don't know, that you don't get leapfrog in some other way because some things are out of your control, basically, like you can't control how other players are playing at their clubs or how they've made an impression on the manager. So it's a little bit unique in that situation, but you have to go into this camp as approaching it as this is my last chance to be in front of the coaches, to be there day to day with them for X amount of days, to be amongst the group, right? Because I think a lot of a lot of Greg Berhalter's decisions when it comes down to those last few decisions, they're going to be part are going to be made based on, and I don't want to speak out of turn, but my assumption would be what guys fit into the group, right? You're going to pick guys who are in form of force. You have your core group of players. You're going to have guys who are performing at a accelerated level that just forces their hand into the group. And then maybe those last few slots are okay. What guys tick those boxes, but now they fit into the group. Maybe we've seen them before. So when you look at the roster now, I think the reintroduction of guys like, like a Josh Sargent, this is a massive window for him or a camp for him because he's been out of the picture for so long. He's he's back scoring goals, albeit it's in the championship. He's back scoring goals consistently. Uh, Ricardo Pepe, similar situation. He's got on low now in, in Holland. And this is a guy who early on made an impression with the national team, has fallen out of favor. Now he's getting his chance to be reintroduced to the group. So these are for – the number nine is going to be the most talked about position, of course. And so for those two players, I think this is a massive camp. I'm excited to see Gio back in camp because he's in a different category than them. But I'm excited just to see him back in camp because he's missed so many games with injuries and throughout qualifying. So to see him back with the group, to see where Greg decides to use him, is that out wide? Is that maybe centrally now with Musa being out uh, of this camp as well? That'll be intriguing. Um there's so many different little tinkering uh, things that I, that I have my eye on with this, with this group of players, but just speak to your question specifically. The mentality is this is this, you have to approach it as this is my last chance, my last chance to be in front of the coaches, to be with the group, to see how I gel, how I fit in with the group, uh, what kind of cohesion we have, what kind of relationships we have on and off the pitch. And, and, Again, be under the, be under the scrutiny and the watchful eye of Greg Berhalter. I love what you said about that because uh, there's many people. I, I know we have a lot of new fans, which is great, and they're figuring out how this operates. And you'll see a lot of people go, "This guy should be in there. He has started every game in the Bundesliga. Or this guy should be in there. He's scoring one more goal than this guy." And I go, "It doesn't work like that." You kind of touched on it. It's got to be a group that fits. It's like a jigsaw piece or jigsaw puzzle in many ways where, all right, this group will get it. This guy may not play, but I want him here because he can lift these guys. He can help me do these certain things, but it's all very interesting. But I think also it's, and while we're here, I, 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 I never take the opportunity to ask this question, but it has to be nerve wracking because this is the world cup mode. This is a, could maybe a once in a lifetime. And if you don't get called into this, there, there's your window closed for a lot of these guys. Some guys called in because of injury, so they weren't in that first 26, so they know that it's a real uphill battle. They know they're on the outside looking in. What is that like dynamic like in camp, those conversations? Because I, I, I can't imagine. It's like this is your dream, and you know every morning you wake them train, you got to train hard or you got to perform in that game to see if somehow uh, you can get that roster. You talked about uh, making a good impression. Those conversations that you have, uh, is there a strategy that when you go into this final camp? Uh, I think you you described it perfectly. I mean, for me, it was a once. It was only once, right? And going to my first World Cup or going to the World Cup I went to in 2010, when I finished that World Cup, in the back of my mind, I was like, all right, this is going to set me up to be better prepared for 2014. You know, I was confident in that I was going to continue progressing like this. And then, again, injuries kind of smacked me in the face, and I couldn't make the recovery that I needed to to make that 2014 roster, right? So to your point – this potentially could be the one opportunity for some of these guys. And specifically you look at some of the guys who have been called in as replacements for the injured, injured players, you know, the likes of uh, a Mark McKenzie, uh, Palmer Brown, the surprising one for me was Johnny Cardoso. Right. Yeah, and me so, too. so you look at, you look at these guys and you go like this, this definitely is your chance. You know, you maybe were on the outside looking in and things have worked out favorably in your, in your situation. You have to take, full advantage of this moment um to your point about what the dynamic is like yeah it's it's listen this is what you dreamt of your whole life this is what qualifying was about this is what what for the guys who missed out on qualifying through injury or, were, or weren't selected in the back of your mind you're like all right well i still need to get back to this camp 
I need to make sure that I'm fit for this camp because that's my chance to to either book my ticket or confirm my ticket to the World Cup. Um, so you, I don't know, you go in with, with a similar mentality. Of course, there's like some nerves. Uh, I think, again, it's a little bit different because when we, because of the, obviously the, the logistics of the World Cup, you're playing this camp and then you're going back to your club team. Whereas when I, when it was my World Cup, it was that camp led up to the World Cup. So you had an, a window here to show yourself knowing that cuts were gonna be made on this date and that was it. So you knew that that camp specifically was the final indication of whether or not you were going to be going to the World Cup. Whereas this was a little bit trickier because you can show well, do have an amazing camp, but then maybe you go back to club and you fall out of favor and you're not playing and maybe that plays against you. So it's a, it's a really weird dynamic, but I think the focus on each and every player has to be, of course, you're focused on the group and having success there and contributing to that and make sure you win the games because that puts everyone in a better light. But at the same time, there's a little bit of desire to, to, you have to be selfish in certain moments and think about yourself and make sure that you're taking care of yourself. You're doing all the right things from a preparation standpoint. But when you get on the pitch, that has to manifest itself in a team contribution, right? Play your part within that team situation. And ultimately that's all you can ask, right? If you leave, if you walk up the pitch knowing you've left it all out there, you've been selfless, you've been, you've done everything that's been asked of you, you can, you can walk away from that situation. Obviously there'll be disappointment if you don't get the call, but you know that you've done, yeah. you've done everything in your, in, that you can control. I think the one thing, the one word that we continue to hear uh, about this world cup is that word unique. Cause it is so unique in the middle of a season, the way it is, but for MLS, it'll come at the end of the season. Um, and I know that this U S national team has relied more and more on players that are in Europe. Um, it's also a very young group. Uh, but in your mind, is it, maybe a benefit. And I would say not just for the U S team. I know when people think MLS, they think, Oh, U S players, but MLS has lately been sending players, you know, from Ecuador to all kinds of other places. So is MLS going to be a value to some of these national teams because the players form will be peaking at the right time or what's, what's your opinion on that? I, man, I think, I think it's, uh, It's, it's individual based, right? I think it's up to the player to just make sure that they're doing what they need to do to look after themselves, right? Because when in every other World Cup, it's European seasons that are finishing, coinciding with leading up to a World Cup, right? And so I think it's just a player. The player has to make sure that they're doing all the things that they need to do, looking after their bodies. They have a nutrition plan there. They're working with the physios. They're doing the things, the, the prehab, the, the things post-game the recovery methods. There's so much that's now invested into from the club standpoint to players taking the initiative individually. There's so much out there for the players to utilize to make sure that they're at, you know, at their peak performance. So yes, from an MLS standpoint, the players would have played more games. And so with that, you would, you could say that they will be sharper, maybe in better form, maybe a little bit more consistent. Some might say, well, yeah, they might be a little bit more tired because they played more games. From the European standpoint, they might you could say, oh, well, they haven't played as many games. And so I don't know. I, I, I try to I try to weed that part out of it, to be honest with you, and just say, look, you need to be hungry. You need to look after yourself. You need to recognize the opportunity. I don't care if I played 60 games leading up to, to the World Cup. I'm going to make sure somehow, some way that I'm fit enough because, you know, Max said earlier, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. So I'm going to make sure I'm not wasting that opportunity by having excuses. I don't want to have any excuse uh, from my standpoint whatsoever. I want to make sure that I've done everything possible from, from, you know, the minutes that I'm given, I'm going to make the most of them. I'm going to show well, I'm going to stay sharp. I'm training my ass off. Like all that is I'm ticking every box because this is the world cup. You get to represent your country. You get to, you know, walk out and, and wear your country on your chest. And th this is something you can't take lightly or take for granted. And now you get to do it as a, as a broadcaster. Uh, yeah. Heading off to Qatar with Fox, uh, very exciting. And be doing a, a match day show with Kate Abdo and Chad Ochocinco. Uh, what can uh, the uh, the American audience expect from what we'll see on Fox? And and I mean, it's so exciting. But if the U.S. does well, it just takes another level. So even just what can we expect? And how's that U.S. coverage? How do you expect that U.S. coverage going to be? Yeah, I'm excited. I'm I'm really excited um, to 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 be on the ground you know, first and foremost, and be over in Qatar to be able to experience. That's the thing about World Cups. It's tricky because 
when you're playing in a World Cup, you don't always get the the full luxury of of getting the full experience, you know, because so for example, 2010, that was my first and only World Cup, but I in my head I thought it was my first of more to come. And so I was like, you know what, I want to be dialed in. Uh, my mom and my brother were over there and I I barely saw them. Uh, I was just like, sorry. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Every game has that much importance to me that I need to just be, have tunnel vision and be with the group, do what we do as a group and and go from game to game. So to be there now on the, on the media side, it's going to be a lot of work, of course, but I, I think I'll have more moments to, to appreciate my surroundings and enjoy everything. Um, it's going to be an incredible crew. You rattled off the names there, Kate and, and Chad, like these are, two incredible per, uh, people first and foremost um very 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 skilled in their craft so i'm excited to be a part of that it's going to be a fun show first and foremost you will be you will be entertained but um i think i think the crew that we have there's a good balance amongst amongst us you know bringing different perspectives bringing um bringing a it'll be a nice way to round off the night the day's event so I was a part, I was fortunate to be a part of the coverage for the 2019 Women's World Cup. We were on site, or excuse me, we were based in LA. So doing that show gave me a little bit of experience in terms of the cadence of the flow of the show and what to expect. But to now be on site, uh, I can't wait for you guys to see what the stage looks like. It's, it's, I mean, it's stupid. It's a joke. It's incredible what they've done over there. Uh, and so there will be opportunities for, for some really fun, engaging, exciting, elements to be incorporated into the show but obviously first and foremost the focus will be on the sport on football the games uh, but there will be some elements that uh, I think will be pretty cool and again I'm going to use the word that we've been using all day unique to to this tournament and and to uh, the host country we're super excited for you I mean we're we're spoiled we get more Mo I mean we get to see a lot of you <laughs> uh, and I think that like you said a unique show and like Max said it especially if the U.S. trends well and does well it'll just make the show that much better but I'm sure between the three of you those three personalities you guys will find a lot of fun being there on site uh, but I want to transition us a little bit um, and speak a little bit for myself but speak for you guys a little bit as MLS is, is moving to Apple uh, the local broadcasts are going away and it's been I'm not part of the broadcast per se. I do try to pass some notes to Max from time to time to help him out. Uh, but uh, <laughs> seeing the uh, the tributes and a lot of people saying nice things about their local broadcasters and finally uh, really understanding what they've had this whole time has been really touching for me. Uh, but I want to ask you, We, like I said, we've been spoiled. Uh, we got to have you, you obviously working with Atlanta, uh, but we got to have you out here as a plus one, which was very unique to LAFC. And I'm sure something that, was very interesting for you to do. Uh, what what was that like in your time? Um, I'm sure Max uh, probably doesn't want me to say this, but I'm sure he called a few of your games, uh, more than a few. Um, and then now all of a sudden you're standing- I had a, a very famous TFC game where he had a goal that made the rounds that was getting a little viral from back in his day there. Well, there you go. I mean, it, when Benny was here, Benny Goldhaber had, had to be like, oh, Max, you called my uh, Gold Cup yeah. winning goal. Uh, but for you then to turn around uh, and then be in the booth in, in Bank California Stadium, Next to Max Bredos, what was the plus one experience like for you? What can you share anything uh, about our uh, voice of LAFC that we maybe don't know about uh, in in the course of working with him? Um, well, first of all, man. I, first of all, yeah, it's 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 bittersweet, right? This has been an incredible ride, and um, very fortunate to have had the opportunity to to be a part of of what you guys have created there. Um, the the talent that's on camera is elite, but the people behind the scenes as well set everyone up to be successful. And I think that has to go, that has to be said first and foremost. So, you know, big thank you to everyone that's a part of the production that, that makes us, us idiots look decent on camera. You know, that's, that's the, those are the people who deserve so much credit because they don't necessarily get the credit that they deserve, but working with Max is incredible, man. Max, you see his energy. It's a consistent level of energy. There's some moments when I come in and, you know, maybe I've, I've had a bad start to my day or, you know, the kids are going crazy or, or well, whatever you, it is. You had that episode with the bang energy drink where you're drinking like a couple sips and then by the end, you're like, I'm ready. <laughs> exactly. I got to get me one of those bangs. It was like bubblegum yeah. flavor. It looked really, I was like, give me a sip of that. It was COVID. So we couldn't share it. Right. So, but no, it's, it's, you know, it's, there's so many, so many like little moments like that, right. That you look back on and some of it happens on camera. Some of it happens behind the scenes. And, Again, I'm I'm a big proponent of it's the it's the environment for me. 
right? The people that you get to work with. The stuff that happens on camera is, on camera is great. The games, calling the games, that part is all great. But I, I love working with good people. And I'm fortunate in, in that this man that we're looking at here on screen, Max, is a, he's one of the good guys, right? He's a guy who who's passionate about the game. And that passion comes through on air consistently. He's genuine in the way that he approaches um, portraying that passion and, and conveying it. I think he does a good job of, of interacting with his plus one, whether it's me, whether it's somebody else. And I think he's always been someone, whether it's from my, working with him or being a fan from afar, watching other games that he's been a part of, who truly, truly celebrates and enjoys the big moments, but also just enjoys the game, right? And you, you talked about some of his, some of his famous uh, goal calls, like the one Benny's goal call, was, that's, come on. Like you, 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 as soon as you, you can be blind and you hear that call, you hear that voice, you know, <laughs> you know whose voice that is, right? And um, no, I definitely, if I'm thinking back to one moment that stands out would probably be, it was a moment that it was cool because we got to be a part of that, the two of us. And it was, uh, uh, was it, I think it was the last game of the season 2019 when Vela had the hat trick. Uh, yeah, Colorado. Colorado, Colorado. Yeah. Against, yeah. against Tim Howard. Yeah, right. So like the, it's being able to celebrate that moment, being on the call for those three goals. And that was a really, really special occasion. But um, again, for me, it's about it's about the company. Right. And to walk into an environment where where you feel welcome, you feel like you're being pushed to get better. You're being challenged to get better. But it's also a, a family feeling. Right. Where it's not like I don't I don't I never worked with Max and felt like I was competing against him. You know, I felt like, yeah, there were moments where he's going to challenge me and push me on certain things. And I think you need that. You need that that balance because that's how you get the best out of your analysts. But it was always I always left. Whether it's stadium or studio, I always left in a good mood. I felt good about the work we did. I left in a positive mood because I enjoyed the environment. Good result, bad result. I think we always had fun on camera um, and enjoyed these opportunities. Can you clip that off, Vince? Yeah, I'll, go, I'll get that. I'll get that. Just uh... I did. I Make did sure not expect it, but wow. Mo, though. I, I'm sure you had to give him, uh, it's a hefty uh, check. You got to get more. Well, well, the reason he says that is because he's the same way and he is a good teammate. And I always say when you work and it's maybe it's a tip for people to get in here, don't be a pain in the butt. Come in here and work, put your guys over. They'll put you over. It's a, it, that when that team is clicking, like on the field, it's absolute magic. And uh, I got so excited to work with Mo because he is exactly that and he's good peeps, but he knows the, uh, the attention to detail uh, that you have to put in there. And uh, that's why he's uh, at the, on the trajectory he is now. And the plus one was amazing for me. I knew it would be uh, challenging because you're working with different people, but then we worked with certain guys and, you get so excited about that. And uh, we'd always take photos afterwards. And there was a closeness that it, it was late at night. Otherwise, we'd all go have dinner and maybe uh, a couple frosty cold ones somewhere, but which we always do. But uh, at some point, but uh, that was uh, uh, it's going to be missed a lot. But I'm glad uh, there's there's an exciting new development. And there's still the clubs that need all the and all the guys all over the league that work so hard. There's so many good folks and the Atlanta broadcast with Mo and. Kevin and Jillian is uh, top tier and there's a lot of good stuff there, but there's a lot of good people. And I think that's the best part. So uh, just like uh, the U.S. men's national team broadcast ring true, if they're good people, if you look out for each other, you're going to have a good product. That's a, that's, that's a good point that you point out though, though, about the, you know, the difficulty that also goes into the uniqueness of the plus one, right? Because I think when you work with someone consistently, you mentioned like the broadcast with me, Kevin and Jill, I think it's when you work with the same people, you build, it's easier to build that chemistry. So I think that's, again, why I highlight um, what you guys have created there, because when people, whenever that plus one comes in, whether it's me, whether it's, you know, he, Jordan, whoever that is, the environment, the tone has been set. So when you walk through that door, you know, you're, you know what you're walking into and it's a welcoming environment. It's an environment where you can feel comfortable, where you can feel like you can be yourself from the get-go, which is, as I said, when you work with the same people, it's easier for that to be established and built. But when it's a rotating cast, it's a little bit more challenging. You nailed it. Be yourself. The best advice anyone can give you in, the, in this medium. And sometimes it's hard just to be the same person you're having a conversation on the air. Uh, you've mastered it. It took me a few years, but I think I got that. Vince nailed it from the beginning. He's the same guy. So uh, that's it's difficult. But if you can get that, you're there. 
Yeah, Mo, you are uh, you are the goods, my friend. And this was awesome on many levels. Got a little smarter and now uh, uh, get a little emotional too. So I probably should part ways before I start crying. Uh, as you get older, you start you know get more emotional, and then I you know, start <laughs> drinking less. You know, you start to get emotional. So okay. I don't want you guys to see that part, <laughs> but I appreciate you, my friend. <laughs> no, I appreciate you guys. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, thank uh, you so much, Mo. I'll, I'll just say from from my perspective uh and this is pre-covid when you used to come out to training to have your, your broadcast meetings everyone would always get excited you were there and i'll just share this we all know bob bradley pretty well uh the man keeps pretty level but uh, there's few people that when they show up uh the smile on his face and the want to go and you were his them, favorite and you were one of them i remember vividly him uh sitting with me and we were talking about something and he wanted confirmation of something he said immediately turned and yelled to you mo and yelled the question and oh, you, yeah. you go yeah yeah that's how it went bob and he goes mo knows uh so i'll just i'll i'll leave that there is like you said it's the people you work with and uh you were always uh, a very welcome sight whenever you were out at training so we we love having you on no i appreciate that i appreciate that and i mean i just saw bob actually uh what last week because they were playing in atlanta and it's always it's always it's always love you know um I have a lot of a lot of respect, a lot of good memories from my playing days under Bob. And, you know, obviously he's another one who's going to be an LAFC legend forever. You know, for yep. what he helped to build at that club, uh, we talk about the expectations. And when you shape a culture from day one, when you shape a winning culture from day one, it's not easy. A lot of teams go through those growing pains, but I think Bob has the pedigree, the know-how. Um, and he's also evolved, right? I think yeah, he, he sure would be has. the first one to tell you that he's evolved as a manager as well. And so when you when you have that trust from your players, that buy-in from your players, which which I think he had from day one, there's always going to be a recipe for success. So I'm I'm excited to see what he does in Toronto. But um LAFC, they've always been a club that has welcomed me in. And I've always felt really excited to to, to whether it's doing games or being at those training sessions and witnessing things and just being there in, in the flesh. So a big thank you to you guys. Good man. I, I know I speak for uh, Vince on this. I so look forward to running into Bob again because uh, it's I've done it before. I hadn't seen him in a while and I saw him. The warmth was there. And uh, it's it's a so there's a different Bob that you would see when you see him already coaching. But look forward to that. And we look forward to seeing you on the coverage for Fox in Qatar for the World Cup. Hopefully you're there uh, doing shows around the United States preparing for a semifinal. Who knows? We yep. shall see. <laughs> you're on the, you're on the record now, Max. Let's I know. And I, I'll just say quarterfinals. Quarterfinals would be huge. <laughs> We've only been there once. Uh, inside, it didn't take us hard to push him back. <laughs> no, no, of course. Round of 16. We always make the round of 16 when we go to the World Cup these days. Nah, so. we're shooting higher than that. We're shooting higher. Quarterfinals it is. We're setting the line. Quarterfinals. We play Argentina in the quarterfinals according to my bracket. So. Hey, if you're top eight, eight, so look, if you're top eight in the world, just like when you make the quarterfinals of Champions League, it's not a bad Anything spot can happen. Anything not can a bad happen. spot to be in. All right. Inside LFC, the Max and Vince podcast. Special thanks to our guest, Mo Adu. Rate, review, download, subscribe, and tell a friend. And we'll keep it coming as we have the international break. We are not going anywhere. And we'll be back with the two big games to see where LAFC ends up. We'll see you soon. Oh, yes! They knocked on the door!